Welcome to With That Being Said, a podcast on life, love, and everything in between. I'm so glad you've decided to join the conversation. Hi, I'm Esther Boykin. And I'm Erica Turner. And with that being said, adulting is hard. (laughs) Yeah, it is. So hard. It is very hard, and with that theme in mind, we have a very special episode today, which I'm super excited about. I'm super excited for every episode. Um, but this one, one especially, because we get to spy on the young kids. We do. <laughs> so we <laughs> On the young adults, I should say. The young adults. <laughs> Let me say, at my age, it feels like they're basically babies. Right. They're children. Obviously infants. <laughs> Or possibly like 19 and 20 years old. Either way. Whatevs. No, but today is um, the first of what we will probably have future college episodes. So we don't have just one guest. We actually have four guests. Four actual real life college students will be joining us uh, to talk about, well, that adulting is in fact hard and getting there is like not always simple and easy um, as maybe... Those of us who have been adulting a bit longer seem to think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't there kind of like a hump when it for when it comes to adulting? Like at first you think, oh, I got this. Like, you know, when you're 17, you're like, I got this. I'm gonna go out there, I'm gonna rock the world. Yes. And then you kind of realize, like, oh, maybe I don't have this as much. <laughs> maybe not so much. And then like you kind of realize, like, oh, nobody gets it. Yeah. And then you sort of move into, okay. Like there's like a whole like phase. There is. There's a real ebb and flow to it. I think you're so right. Cause there is that phase around like 16, 17, where you're just basically like, I don't understand why everyone doesn't treat me like an adult when I'm doing it. I'm going to do it so much better than my parents and everyone around me. These adults are a hot mess. Right. I remember thinking that. And then, and like, I remember adults like saying like, you will think that because this is the age when you think that. And I was like, yeah, but I'm right. (laughs) You're like, because that is what you think now. And then uh, you head off to college or wherever you're going. And then you actually get some adult experiences and you're like, oh, no, I have no idea. And I really would like someone to take charge again. Right. (laughs) I just want to hand these things back. Like, there's a lot of fun, and then I want to give the rest of this responsibility back to somebody. Right. There's that great quote, and I'm I'm not going to remember where it comes from, if it's from a book or a song. <laughs> I can't even tell you the genre. But it's it's something like, I was so much older than, than I am now. <laughs> and it's this idea of, like, I had it all figured out. Like, I was grown, and now I'm, like, you know, in my 30s going, hmm, maybe... Maybe not so much. Yeah. Maybe I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, well, and I think for me, what's exciting about this episode is that we get to kind of get a glimpse of, you know, that's our experience. Is that really the same experience right now? You know, is that what's happening on college campuses? Yeah. It's interesting because we've been having sort of these conversations about like millennials and generational changes and do they kind of have the same thinking? Like, did they kind of go through the same process of thinking they knew everything and now sort of thinking like, maybe I don't know as much um, or maybe they've got all this shit figured out. Like maybe we should be going to them for advice. I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? I mean, they do have like Twitter and Snapchat. <laughs> Obviously. Well, they have the Google, which they had, uh, there was Google when I was in college, mm. I think. Maybe. 
I can't speak for you. I can say that I got married in college. And so my husband was at an engineering school. Yeah. And so they had like an intranet and like email. And that was basically because they were like building the internet on campus. Like, (laughs) Esther, you just made yourself sound ancient, which is so not true at all. I don't even. In the grand scheme of technology, though. the internet when you were in college. (laughs) I mean, I'm disputing your facts about your life. In all honesty, flag on the play. <laughs> like by the end of my college career, yes, like I had an email address, but like I mean, we like people what? you were getting on the internet <laughs> because Net Zero would like mail you a CD and like oh I remember dial that. up and I remember yeah that. It, nothing Definitely. like I can Google and find like the notes to the class that I don't want to wake up to go to. I'm trying to remember if Google was like a thing. It had to have been when I was in college, or maybe that was I. It had to have been. I don't know. I'm gonna go look it up after this episode. When was Google like? I mean, obviously, it's been a thing for longer than it's been yeah. created longer than I had access to it. But I don't remember like when I first like had access to it, used it regularly. It was good enough that you could use it all the time. Well, like, I'm just. Gonna, I should remember that because I feel like it was like a moment. Like I definitely remember being like, "Oh, you can Google did. things." Yeah, it didn't seem awesome. like a moment at the time, but now it is. Like, it, yeah, yeah, huh? I can just say this: I got my first email address 19 years ago. What? Can you imagine? No. Like some of today's guests are younger than <laughs> your my first, first email address. address. And let me just say, nobody was emailing me. Like, literally by noon, I have 150 emails minimum. (laughs) And I probably got 150 emails, like, in that entire first year. year. (laughs) And most of them were probably from my husband. That's cute. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So let's bring on our four guests today. And let's find out what's happening on college campuses now. Yes. They're not worried about With the internet. Yes. And the Googles. And the Googles. (laughs) Do they even email people these days? I don't think they do. (laughs) So I want to introduce our college guests today. I'm so excited for um, each of you guys to be on the show. We've got Alexa, who is a sophomore, Dominic and Charles, who are also sophomores, and Raquel, who is a freshman. Welcome to the show, you guys. Thank Thank you. you. Yep. So prior to starting the show, we had talked about a variety of different issues, but I was just curious, like, who wants to sort of kick things off? Let's, what would you say is like kind of the most pressing question? For me, I think one of the things that I struggle with is finding a good balance between um, focusing on my academics and also socializing and enjoying myself. Um, I think a lot of that stems from the fact that my school is very focused on academics and I just want to make sure that I also get the college experience of enjoying myself while also being able to balance time um, to put towards academics. Yeah, that feels like, I feel like college is the place where we start that struggle for balance mm-hmm. <laughs> and then right. kind of keep working on that basically through life. But it, it's important. The fact that you even sort of recognize that that is an important thing. It's just as important to be having some fun as it is to be getting work done. I think is a really, that's sort of the first big step towards creating a better balance for yourself. Yeah. 
Right. Like I think kind of as Esther pointed out, like it's kind of the beginning of figuring out that balance. And it feels, I know when I was in college, you know, I think there's pressure because, you know, this is the only, theoretically, this is the only college experience you'll have. Right. So there's kind of this pressure to feel like, oh, I really made the most of it, but also I need to get good grades and, you know, figure out what else I'm going to do with the rest of my life. So I feel like that adds an that's an added dimension for the mm-hmm. college experience that isn't really happening through most of your adulthood. Maybe when you have kids, but other than that. Yeah. <laughs> other than that little other time. Than, other than that <laughs> small stretch of 18 or 20 plus years. But I think that that's a good point. I think there is something kind of unique about being a college student. And I think there may be an added pressure at this just particular time because college is really expensive. And I think there is some pressure, you know, as a parent, I can say, I think that, well, I try not to put that pressure. I think there is some pressure about like, are you studying hard? Are you doing the best you can academically? But this really is like the beginning of your adulthood. It really is. These are probably some of the most long lasting relationships you'll make in your life happen at this point, like in your late teens, early twenties, like these are some of your lifelong friends and, and really important memories. And there is, there's something to be said about this is the one time in adulthood, theoretically anyway, where somebody else is mostly responsible for your financial well-being, Mm -hmm. but you're still responsible for what you choose to do. Like, and so there is sort of this unique freedom in that, that you get, have this opportunity to be a little bit less worried about like, how do I pay for rent? Because in theory, you know, you've got parents or other people supporting you. And so that you do have some opportunities to be focused on things like, should I study abroad? Should I go to that party? Should I join, you know, some organization? And, and how do you make those decisions about where you're going to spend your free time. Yeah. So I'm what curious, like Dominic and Charles and Alexa, what about you guys? Because you guys are all at different schools. So I also think there's something, every school has its own culture where it comes to, I mean, some schools are very focused on your social life. Um, and, and some schools, the student body is just very academically focused. And so maybe that balance gets to be a little harder if everybody just wants to spend Saturday night in the library. What do you guys find happens for you? I mean, speaking for me, like, it's interesting because, like, I live I live on campus. I'm an RA, and I live in a building that's, like, an honors community. So, like, my building itself is, de- is definitely very, you know, like, academically minded or and, st- and things of that sort. But then I also I, – I find myself kind of wanting to branch out a bit more than perhaps other people would necessarily in my building, which I think is kind of an interesting – kind of like just sort of a juxtaposition in terms of like, like I value, you know, academics and, you know, being a good student, but I also value those like other experiences and like going, going and having sort of an adventurous time, I guess, during college too. Right. Like definitely sort of figuring out how to make the most of your experience, I think is important. Mm -hmm. And figuring out, well, and I, I'm curious, and each of you maybe can answer this question, is like how confident are you at this particular point about your major and like what you're studying and what you want to do with that? I'm not confident at all. <laughs> Low confidence. Yeah. Low confidence. Okay. Like zero to none. But like, 
I'm still trying to figure it out, I think. Okay. But I think it's just, um it's difficult because everyone sort of has an opinion for me and I still haven't sort of sat down and asked myself like what do I want to do? So that's really what's stressing me out right now. Mm-hmm. What do you think prevents you from kind of sitting down and asking yourself like what do I want to do? Um I think it's mostly because like I talk to adults and I just assume that they know what's best for me. So I sort of I'm more um like I'm more obliged to like listen to what they have to say rather than, you know, what I actually feel like I'm more passionate about or what I see myself doing in the future. Mm. Yeah. 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 Don't listen to us. We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I think Esther and I have talked about this before. Like there is a moment often in college or maybe right after college where you kind of realize like you kind of like, I don't know, you're like a groundhog that peeks your head up and you go like, Oh, nobody knows what the hell they're doing. Like nobody has any clue. All of us are just sort of figuring it out as we go Mm -hmm. along. Nobody has an answer. Like, yes. And it's terrifying at first to realize that. And then it sort of becomes like calming. Like if nobody has an answer, you sort of realize like, I don't really have to have the right answer. Everybody from the president on down to whomever is just trying to figure it out as they go through life. And I think that that's a really important piece, both in figuring out the major. And part of the reason I asked that is because I think as you get clearer about what you're working towards, some of the academic work doesn't feel quite as stressful because that's part of the balance is sort of finding your passion. But Erica's so right. And we do talk about it all the time. Is like, this is it. There's just this awkwardness about being at that age where as adults, and I will say as, you know, sort of the lone parent on this episode right now, like as parents in particular, I think part of the job when you're little is to convince you that we know everything, like whatever (laughs) your question is, I know. And I have the answer because it's very comforting when you're five, like, you don't want me to say like, well, I don't really know. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Like that would freak you out. (laughs) You'd be very scared. But as you get older, as parents, we transition to this place of like, at some point you have to recognize too. And like, look at your parents and go like, they're an adult and technically so am I. (laughs) And they know more because they've lived longer and they've had other experiences, but there does come a point where, which I think Charles, you were kind of bumping up against is like, All these other people have opinions, but ultimately you're the person who really knows you best. And so I think one of the values of creating some balance for fun, but also for some alone time so that you can be more reflective and like try new things is that this is the point in your life where you have to figure out what you think is best for you. Because Erica's right. We, none of us know what we're doing. Like this is like... This is all made up. Right. Like, we're all just kind of like. (laughs) I hate hate to burst your bubble, but it's all made up. Yeah. I know it. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I mean, I, in fact, I had a client in the last like month or so who was reflecting on, you know, and she's, she's older. She's older than I am even. We all know how old I am. Um, But she had lost her mom. (laughs) But she was thinking, she was saying that, you know, she and her friends sometimes talk and sort of look around and they're like, in a moment of crisis, everybody sort of looks for the adult. And part of adulthood is recognizing, like, you are the adult. Like, you sort of look around, like, 
there has to be somebody who knows more than me who has better answers. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that, you know, I mean, to some degree, yes, there are people with expertise in various areas, but a lot of this is just us, you know, everybody's doing the best they can with the experience and the wisdom that they have. And so, and the same can be said for creating that balance between doing your work and being academically minded and making sure that you have a a social life because all of that helps you learn more about yourself, which ultimately helps you back to that piece of like, well, what are you supposed to do with the rest of your life? Like, what are you supposed to do when you get out of this college phase and are expected to like have this something, some sort of productive life ahead of you? Right. And to go back to the, the sort of, you know, question of balance, once you have a better idea of what you want or what matters with to you, it's much more easier. It's much easier to find a balance. I notice that when I am clear about what my goals are and what's important to me, then it's, you know, natural. The balance kind of follows along with that because I know, okay, this is the thing that's like, I really need to be working on right now. This is the thing that's really important or this is the hobby or whatever that I really want to be working on, you know, when I'm not doing my regular work. Once you've clarified that, those goals, the balance sort of follows from that, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Do any of you have like a moment, like it could just be one class or a semester or even just like one particular stretch where you felt like, you had a moment where you were like, wow, I feel like I kind of figured out this balance piece. Or do you know somebody where you look at them and they seem like they've got that sense of balance between making the most of all the various parts of being in college? Not really. Okay. (laughs) Nobody has it figured out? (laughs) I think it's just a constant work in progress. I don't know. I think that everything's just constantly changing. So I don't ever feel like I have a complete grip on everything because I feel like there's always something to adapt to kind of. And that's kind of the secret to balance, to be perfectly honest, um, is that it is always changing. It's balance in your life is not like a destination you arrive at. It's much more like walking a tightrope. Like there's you're constantly making slight adjustments to kind of to kind of keep everything centered. None of it's ever going to, you're, it's very rare that you have moments where it just sort of feels like everything's perfect. And so learning to accept that will also help you to feel more balanced because you'll begin to recognize that like, there's no such thing as a perfect balance for all of it. And along with that, I think, I mean, I don't know how much this is hitting you guys right now, but I certainly know for me a part of it is always like letting go of things that I think I should be doing, but are not really that important. Like maybe, you know, if you're, you know, very academically minded as I was like, maybe I don't need to do that extra credit assignment. If I already have a decent grade in that class, like maybe I don't need to do this extra reading that I know we're not going to be tested on, you know, I sort of actually prioritizing and saying like, what is really important here? What do I really need to do in order to accomplish what I want to set out? And what is just something that like, I feel like I should do in order to be like the good kid or the good student, or as you get older, the good wife or the good employee or whatever, but that may not actually matter. How do you guys feel about, I mean, I think Erica's kind of talking about something that's really important, which is prioritizing, but also goal setting. Like, 
is that even something that you guys think about a lot? Like, what are my goals? Like, how do I get there? Like, how does that fit in for you, for each of you? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not at all. Um, I mean, I try to set goals for myself every week, whether it be finish an assignment or anything. But in a broader term, my actual goal is to figure it out, <laughs> which is, I guess, what we're talking about figure out what I want to do, that would be my biggest goal, which I think is difficult to have as a goal, but it's what I'm working towards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a tricky goal. Like, how do you sort of make strides towards that goal? Like the, the goal of like figuring out what do you want to do? Like, what do you do in order to help you sort of get there? Yeah, I don't even really know. <laughs> Um, I try to be honest with myself and just explore, maybe just explore what it is that I enjoy doing, um, trying to find a passion, whether it take different classes. I don't know. Yeah. No, that sounds like good steps towards that goal. I asked that question because like a lot of us, all of us, and this is the time where people are like setting resolutions, which are essentially goals, set goals that like they're not measurable. They're not like, how do you know you're making progress towards that goal? Like mm -hmm. one of the things that like Esther and I work on a lot as therapists and as people is trying to make goals that like you can actually see whether you're making progress towards them or not. So like for the goal that you said of trying to figure out what you want to do, like if you told me you like sat in a room and looked at a wall and like thought about all your options, I'd be a little concerned, but you're like, no, I take classes towards what I'm interested in and that sort of thing, which are actual tangible steps towards your goal. So that's good. <laughs> I, I think it, it, it's really important. And I, and sometimes when we have these big goals and this is not specific, this doesn't just happen like in college or at a particular age is when we have these sort of big more life goals, it's really hard to break it down into little steps. But I think sort of tying that back to the piece, the question about balance is beginning to also look at some of the things that might be considered like goofing off as also steps towards helping you with that goal. Like getting to know new people and hanging out with people who have different interests with you exposes you to new things or, you know, going to the movies or hanging out with friends or going to a party or joining, you know, playing a sport or, you know, joining a club, all of those also give you opportunities to learn more about yourself. And so those are also part of moving towards that goal of figuring it all out and, and kind of claiming some ownership over like where, the direction you want your life to go in basically. Yeah. So what else do you guys think about? What else do we talk about? Like I, I'm impressed. I feel like the whole discussion about balance and, and you know, figuring out our, our life's passion and purpose is, um, like, really kind of lofty things. I don't know that that was necessary. It was happening. I was thinking about it in college, but I was thinking about lots of other maybe slightly more frivolous things. <laughs> <laughs> so who else – what else is important for you guys that you think, you know – I wonder about this and who do we even, like, who do you even talk to about some of these other kinds of questions? What else do you guys think about? Uh, I think about making money because I'm so broke in college and it's not that fun being broke in college. But then the jobs that, like, they have in college are just 
some of the worst jobs ever. Like concessions. I've been working concessions for like I think yes. a couple of months. And it's just is it worth having any money in college if I have to do concessions every week? Oh. So those are some of the things I think about. <laughs> oh yeesh. <laughs> yeah, that's that is part of life. And and honestly it <laughs> ties into, I mean, I suppose part of, you know, choosing majors and figuring out what your next steps are. But I lean towards, and Erica, you can weigh in on this, like, I think there's something a little character building about being a broke college student in terms of just kind of, not that it's There's nothing character building about being a broke college student. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'm just far enough away from it that I can look back on it in a way. Yeah, I can romanticize it in this, like, but you learn to be so resourceful and creative and like- you know, you've got like if you want to take a girl out and you're a broke college student, you got to like really be creative to make it special. Like, yeah, we have dining halls. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to pay. Just swipe. Does that count? I don't. Does that count as a date? I, I think mean, it has to if you're a broke college student. That's a wonderful date to me. I don't know. I I would like to hear from Alexa and Raquel. Your, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys want to be taking on a cafeteria date? I mean, for the first couple of dates, it's fine. But like, yeah, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I, I mean, I know friends who've definitely just gotten coffee or whatever at our like local dining hotspot for like coffee and stuff. So I don't, I don't see a problem with it initially. Yeah, considering the situation. Yeah, yeah. I think we all recognize we're all we're all experiencing the broke college student lifestyle (laughs) (laughs) do you think there's pressure I guess for the guys maybe more for the guys do you think there's pressure for you guys to have money to take girls out yes yes how do you sort of handle that pressure I don't you stress (laughs) you stress yeah you take them you take them to the cafeteria or you don't you just stay single yep you stay single instead of Instead of like, I don't know. I'm not a dude, so maybe I don't know what the <laughs> options are. You should enlighten me. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. So you would rather stay single than feel the pressure of like, okay, well, I want to go out with you, but our date is basically going to be, you know, coffee and the dining hall. Yeah. Oh man. Well, it depends, like, what kind of school. Since we go to, like, I don't know, like, a private school, a lot of the people, their backgrounds are kind of, like, I don't know. Their parents have money, so they have expectations that clearly we can't meet. So, my boy is single. Interesting. I guess I was going to say, like, I don't, I mean, I don't know the girls on, on you guys' campus, but I guess as a woman, like, to me... Someone who's like made an effort, like if if you well, it's not the weather for it, but like if you set up like a nice picnic or did like cooked me a meal, like that in some ways would mean more than taking me out to dinner. Like anybody can take me out to dinner. Anybody can take me to a restaurant. But when my husband, well, when my husband makes me ribs, I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? 
Esther, I don't know. Yeah, uh, no, Alexa no. Or Raquel. Yeah, I, don't know I agree with Erica, but I'm curious, like, what, a, like, Alexa and Raquel, because maybe we're just old, Erica, but I feel like so. effort goes a really long way in terms of, like, uh, impressing a girl, like, because like Erica said, like, lots of people have money. So what's special, like, 20 guys could take her out for a nice dinner. So like, what would be special about what can you do that's special, which may not cost any money or a lot of money? I don't know. What do the college ladies think? Yeah. Maybe we've just eaten at too many restaurants, <laughs> Esther. <laughs> that may be what it is. It may be back to me romanticizing the whole like broke college experience. Like where I'm like, no, I did really, you know, I mean, obviously like I met my husband when we were broke in, in college. And so I'm like, oh, we had all these like really romantic things. But maybe you're right. Maybe I, it's just I, I can afford a steak dinner now. So <laughs> so it doesn't seem as meaningful. But it probably would have been really meaningful when I was 19. But yeah, so I do want to hear like Alexa and Raquel, what do you guys think? As are Eric and I just like we're a little out of touch with like the reality of what it's like to be possibly dating in college? I mean, I do I think that it's the thought that counts and like effort, you know, seeing someone's effort and like intent and everything is almost more meaningful than like whatever the actual like material thing that they do is. And so like it doesn't, I don't, like, I guess for me personally, it doesn't matter, but that might be just because, like, I don't go to a private institution. I go to a public state university in Virginia. So it, it could just be the difference in that type of a culture and that I'm in that I'm in that sort of different demographic and all that. But, yeah, no, I agree that, like, the thought is more meaningful and that, like, going to a restaurant, like, that doesn't really interest me. Like, I would be bored. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I think she'll probably remember your effort more than the dinner you ate. So as long as you, I guess, try, she probably wants you to try anyway. So <laughs> yeah, don't don't let that stop you. Encouraging. Is that encouraging, fellas? Yep. Like you feel like, okay, well, maybe I should pursue somebody on campus. Oh, no, I'm not going to pursue anybody on campus now. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wait, why? Why not? Why not? Okay, I just don't think it's like, it's not like what you, what they actually think. Like, I don't think girls really are going to be like, oh, you don't have money. But like in your head, if a girl, like girls have jackets that cost more than like everything on your body. Facts. So you just like, oh, you feel pressure. Like, I can't really live up to this. So, yeah. Yeah, but her parents bought her that jacket, or her parents' money bought her, her ja- that jacket. Yeah, but like, I don't know. They're used to, like, different kind of lifestyle. So that's interesting, because part of what I feel like I hear you saying is that it's not really as much about the girls and their expectations as much as it is about the expectations you're putting on yourself based on what you see, like, how yeah. they live, like, it's really more about the voice in your head than it is about any whether or not this girl wants you to spend a lot of money on her or not. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. Uh, okay. Yeah. Like it's just hard to like I don't know that's to believe them. <laughs> to believe. <laughs> to like actually believe that they don't really care about money. Huh. Well, and I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> right. Like, it's not that they don't care in t- at all, but. But, like, when you hear, like, Alexa and Raquel say, like, really, for the most part, girls are 
more interested in your effort than the tangible outcome, it's hard for you to believe that that would be true. Yeah. Do you think part of it is also like a concern about not just the material stuff, but like that this, this person might come from like a different culture than you in some ways? Like, yeah. is that like, like that their money sort of puts them in a different whole like sphere, like a different place. Definitely. Yes, exactly that. How do you deal with that? You don't. You stay you don't, single. Yeah. Cause like, I don't know. You just feel awkward pretty much. If you guys are in like different like tax brackets or something, I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. Except technically you guys are in the same tax bracket because they are yeah, also but, a college student. But I understand what you're saying. Their well, family like people, is coming from somewhere their else. Their parents, yeah. Like, even if you, like, your families are in the same, like, tax brackets or whatever, like, certain people, like, their parents let them live, like, like, they have their parents' money, and then, like, other people don't, like, you have to live by yourself, basically, like, make your own money. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of stressful. Do you feel like the kids who are, like, more privileged or more obviously privileged, I guess, because that may be more what we're talking about, like kids basically whose parents let them spend their money. Um, do you feel like they like lorded over people? Like, do you feel like the culture in, out on campus is like the haves and the haves nots? Or do you feel like there's more just kind of that each person kind of knows where people are coming from? Uh, I think, yeah, like everybody, you can just like tell. And, of course, some people, I think they hold it over others. But for the most part, like, you can just tell. And, like, as a guy, especially, if you can tell, like, oh, like, she has this and stuff like that. And she can get you, like, expensive things. And so you're going to feel, like, pressure and, like, I don't know, feel worse about, I don't know, putting yourself out there. It feels harder to put yourself out there because you don't know what her, like, because you know she comes from this this background and she might have certain expectations. Yeah. So what about girls who don't necessarily have that background? Like, do you feel like that feeling translates to just sort of like a sense of like, because you both, Dominic and Charles both have said like, I'm just going to stay single. Like, but clearly every girl on your campus doesn't come from a lot of money. So do you mm -hmm. feel like that pressure just sort of turns you off from the whole prospect of dating as a whole. So like even girls who don't necessarily have obvious, you know, more money or have these financial expectations, do you not pursue them any girl at all? Like any young woman on campus, you're just kind of like, I'm not interested in the pressure at this point. I guess. Cause I just think about like, I, I sort of obviously, cause I am a woman sort of find, think about what, Alexa and, have, and Raquel have said and think, okay, so if I was in their shoes, like, do you guys notice any of that? Like, does it, listening to Dominic and Charles, does it make you think about some of the guys on your campuses and are they not pursuing girls because they have their own insecurities about, you know, or feel this pressure to pr provide things that they can't afford to provide? Like, do you see that? Do you feel like guys maybe are not as are not pursuing girls as much? I think I do notice a bit, I guess, that 
dating isn't as prevalent in college. I guess I didn't think about it from their perspective. Like I didn't think that would be the reason why. But I think in college there's a a lot of um, kind of in-between relationships where you're kind of dating, but you're not dating. Mm-hmm. So I guess I could see that as a, I don't know, a part of it. But yeah, I guess it's something to think about. Yeah, it's funny. On my campus, it's kind of different. I think a lot of, I think like the majority of my friends, they are in relationships. And they, it's funny, like a lot of them either, they came from they came into college like with their high school boyfriends and they they've stayed together which is I I mean I'm still dumbfounded that they've been able to do that and then um some of them they've made they've started relationships while in college and I don't know it's I think that does play a role in it though in, in terms of like some of my guy friends who don't necessarily go for you know someone that they you know are interested in just because there is that sort of added pressure that they're they're worried they're not going to live up to some sort of expectation or some sort of, you know, standard that they think that the girl would want them to sort of achieve. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of, it's almost like there's a lot of pressure about dating that then leads to not dating Mm -hmm. or like, I don't know how you guys sort of navigate that. It seems like there's a lot of like, I don't know, maybe I'm not trying to, I'm not, putting this in the words well but like how do you guys see sort of dating relationships in college like do you take them seriously do you think they're serious do they seem more casual like what is the sort of thinking I guess for you and sort of on the campus that you see about these relationships especially on my campus I don't think it's taken very seriously like I see one or two or like maybe a couple that I'm like, oh, these guys are, you know, really into each other and they're trying to pursue each other. But for the most part, I feel like it's not like a joke, but it's just, oh, I like you. You like me. Let's chill. That's a relationship in college. Let's Netflix and chill. Netflix and chill. Oh, great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's like either it's like either like really casual or really serious, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. So there's no in between. Like nobody's dating. People are like totally hanging out or like we when I was in college we called them mini marriages. Like Yeah. Wow. They were together <laughs> all the time and you guys, mini marriages? Yeah. yeah. That's what we called them. <laughs> That's Okay. <laughs> I mean, we don't call it that, but like, I, I, I understand. <laughs> what do you guys call it? Not many marriages. <laughs> I think it's like very serious, very serious relationships. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, know. we call it friendships. <laughs> you call yeah. it friendships. Yeah. Like, who's this girl you're talking to? Oh, she's my friend. And then everyone understands. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That explains Wait, what do you so say about much. a girl? <laughs> what do you say about a girl who's actually your friend? My friend? That's confusing. Yeah. I know. <laughs> How do you think you feel? We've been dealing with this for like two years now. It's it's tough. <laughs> so what would happen if somebody said, like, no, that's my girl. Like, that's my girlfriend. I would be shocked. Oh no. <laughs> really? <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Why would that be shocking? I don't know. I think people are afraid to put labels on things. 
Yeah. Because I personally yeah. feel like once you label someone or something, you're obligated to a lot of things that you might not want to do. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. when you when you entitle someone as your girlfriend, like it kind of raises a lot of issues. That's why friendship is the best title right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of like like why I like I don't I haven't been dating in college and I think that part of the reason is like I don't want that added sort of like that like title that sort of like makes it serious and that like you know there's mm-hmm. like all this added you know emotion and in, in, in just like emotional investment in that other person like I don't know that's like that just seems really daunting to me so like I think that putting labels like I think especially now in this age people are worried or afraid to put labels on things because they don't want to be they're afraid of what other people will think about that and how like what is your definition of the relationship versus mine and kind of all that I think it's it's kind of fluid it sounds like in some ways once you put a label on it it's suddenly one more thing for you to manage and like one more thing to balance one more thing to figure out what do I really want versus what other people want kind of back to that our initial conversation in some ways like Mm -hmm. yeah because you have to like factor in you know when you're making your own priorities and like sort of going back shifting back to balance like you all now have like another person who's kind of influencing your decision on your own priorities I was just going to ask how those, like, those relationships that you call, like, she's my friend and everybody knows what that means. Like, how do those relationships feel for you? Like, what does it feel like to be inside that relationship? Sorry, I know that's a very therapisty question, but I'm really curious. (laughs) Well, so I'm going to add a little, because I I think that's a really good question. And it is, of course, because it's a therapisty kind of question. But so as an example, you know... For Eric and I, like at work, one of the things we talk with couples a lot. And so marriage, which is obviously sort of like the ultimate commitment, right? The ultimate label. There's a lot of pressure because it does come with obligations and expectations. But there can also be like a lot of rewards because it brings a certain sense of security. There are things that you no longer question because the person's made this commitment to you and you've sort of defined that commitment together. So it can feel really good despite the fact that it can also add stress and pressure to you. So back to Erica's question, like, what does that feel like? I'm, I'm curious too, now that she's asked it, like. Cause it's almost like you're in. Thank you for sharpening my question, Esther, because it's, it kind of seems like, like, yes, you're getting the benefits of like being with someone and hanging out with someone, but without that security of like, even like this is my girlfriend or this is my boyfriend or whatever. And so I'm just curious if that, does it just feel casual and fun and easy or does that feel stressful in other ways? Or what would you guys say about that? Has anyone been in one of these relationships, these friendships with quotations around them? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> like waiting for you guys to agree. Like, yeah, I think most of us have been in them. Maybe like I have. So I'm just asking, like, the experience of that. Like, what does that feel like to be inside that relationship? When I think back, kind of strange. Just not not really strange, but almost, yeah, strange. Definitely strange, actually. Because <laughs> it's, 
because I think like both partners are kind of confused as to what's going on, but they understand kind of, and it just, I don't think it works out to be honest. Either you go all, all the way with it or not at all. It makes me think about, Erica wrote a piece a while ago about, you know, like kind of what's the matter with hanging out. And really it were, it was geared towards people well outside of college. Um, but I think it hits on the same idea because, it feels like in some ways there's sort of this like intellectual, like when I think about the relationship, I want to use these kinds of labels or I don't want to label it, but your feelings are your feelings. Like not to mm-hmm. be super mushy and like therapisty, but like, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. Like if you don't right. call it dating, doesn't necessarily mean that you don't emotionally feel like you're dating. And then it would make sense to me that there would be a lot of questions and confusion. And then how do you know when it's over, if it ends? Or when it started. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Feels very stressful. No wonder you guys are so worried about, like, finding your life balance. Like, dating just sounds really stressful to me. Yep. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I just, I guess. It's another thing to worry about. Yeah, it sounds really anxiety-provoking. It does. Well, and I think one of the reasons I was kind of asking you about that, like asking you guys about it as college students, is because, frankly, we work with clients and, you know, Esther and I work, um, like our events arm works on, like, dating issues. And people are still doing these things not in college. They're still hanging out and not defining what it means. And I think if you know that you want something casual and, you know, especially for you guys right now, you're in college. And so you probably aren't looking for the love of your life necessarily. Um, then it can be okay. But if you are like looking for like something meaningful or something long-term and you're doing this casual thing, it's just super stressful. And like Esther said, even if you, I guess, even if you aren't looking for, a long-term thing, like you still have feelings for this person and those feelings don't go away. Those feelings are still there, even though you haven't put a label on it. Like, I'm not sure that the casual hanging out thing actually solves the problem it's trying to solve, I guess is what I'm saying. No. And I'm a big, not to burst, you know, your bubbles, but I think that a lot of what you and I say you meaning sort of like the collective of college students, not just you four, maybe trying to avoid is the very thing that partly you need to be learning and practicing. Like, you know, how to be in a relationship and how to like bounce back from heartbreak, whether it's a relationship that ends or somebody that you care about that doesn't have the same feelings for you. Like, those are experiences that are going to continue through adulthood. And this is kind of the point in your life where you get to sort of practice like these very messy, complicated experiences because hopefully, you know, like at 35, you kind of want to be better at it basically is what it boils down to. It's not that it's not going to happen. You just want to be a little bit better. But that leads me to the question I have, which is partly motivated in that I am a parent. And so I do look at kind of how as parents we operate. And I really want to hear from like, from each of you, 
It'll be totally off the record from your parents. I won't call them. How much really? do you? Th- <laughs> <laughs> I swear. But how much do you think that parents and the way that they either take care of stuff for you or don't impacts how much you, how comfortable you feel dealing with some of these? Because ultimately, from picking a major to having a friend in quotation marks versus dating or whatever else, all of those things are stressful in part because it involves like complicated feelings. And I feel like over the last several years, you know, there's lots of articles like helicopter parents and we do all of these things and try to really protect our kids from like pain and heartbreak. And we kind of, and I sort of see some patterns as parents where we are over-involved in things that like when I was growing up, like parents were not going to be involved in that, you know, like parents were not filling out college applications or calling teachers or like those just Mm -hmm. were things that you were expected to, you need to figure it out and you need to do it. And while I think on the one hand, as a mom, I want to be really helpful. I also question when, does our helpfulness or maybe lack of helpfulness get in the way of you feeling more comfortable with some of these kind of like ultimately adult things that you're dealing with now in college? And maybe the short way to answer is like, do you feel like your parents helped or hurt you in terms of being able to deal with some of the stress in college, both in terms of dating and the other kinds of stress that you face? I promise I won't send a copy of this. Like you can, you can edit this piece out and then send your parents just the first <laughs> half of this episode. They won't know what you said. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'll go. Um, um, with my parents, especially, uh, like I live in like an immigrant household, so it's kind of, I feel like it's different. And I wouldn't say hurt, but more, there's just a disconnect, and they don't understand like what I'm going through in college. And I don't want to say hurt, definitely hurt. When you say they don't understand like what you're going through in college, like what do you kind of mean by that? Or what do you feel like they don't um, really get about your experience? Uh, like relationships. They understand the work part. They're like, oh, you should work. You have to work. It doesn't matter. You just work in college and get money. But then with other aspects, um, like the relationships that we're talking about, there's just certain things that I can't talk to them about that I can talk to like other people about. You know, Mm. that having as old as I am, having also grown up with as like a first generation immigrant family, Mm -hmm. I can totally understand that because culturally there's some differences. And I mean, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And there's a mindset that comes with moving to a brand new country that they kind of had to be focused on work in order to like get established and, and help you to be successful and to get to college. So I can totally understand where it would feel like there is sort of a disconnect between what's important in your life mm-hmm. versus what would have been important for them at your age or what's important to them right now. That makes a lot of sense. What about for everybody else? And you could talk about a friend's parent that makes you more comfortable mm-hmm. and sort of like what you see. I think for me, it was kind of interesting just because like, I think, since, since I'm the oldest in my family and like, I have one younger brother, I think like I was kind of the guinea pig growing up and sort of like figuring everything out. And like when it came to like applying to college and I was like, 
I remember sitting down one day and my mom was like, are we supposed to be like looking at that now? And I was like, I don't know. I mean, you're my mom. <laughs> so like we, we kind of been having like that kind of growing pain together. And I think that it kind of like, it was, it was comforting that like she was just, like, my parents were just as, you know, sort of novices to this whole thing as I am, but it's also kind of, it also kind of hurts that like, I don't know, like relationship wise, I don't really talk to my parents about relationships or like things of that nature. But like, they also they, they know, like, from their experiences in going to college, because they both went to college, like, you know, you got to work, you got to, you know, get good grades and all that. And that's kind of like, that was like the atmosphere or like the culture for me growing up. So like, that was like, what I came to college knowing and then like sort of seeing how open college was and how there were all these other opportunities outside of that. Like that was sort of difficult to navigate at first seeing that there was so much for me to do outside of that, that I wasn't really like used to or prepared for. And I think that part of that is due to how like my kind of parents brought me up. It sort of brings up an interest. What's something that I think about quite a bit just because, well, because I'm a couples therapist. And so I'm always thinking about relationship stuff. I spend most of my day talking about relationships. Like what could parents do or would it even be helpful to feel like you could talk to your parents more about like relationships and that part of your experience? I think it's just like an openness, just like having that openness is important. I don't really know where I'm going with that, but yeah. Do you mean sort of like maybe not sort of coming at you with a lecture about what you should do, but just like listening? Is that kind of what you mean when you say openness or? Yeah. And just like making, I think making just like having those opportunities to talk about it. I think it's like something that I tend to like just shy away from talking about. So it's partly like my fault in terms of that, but like, if I like if I like understood that they were open to talking about that, then I would feel more comfortable opening up about that type of stuff. Adding to what Alexa said, um, I think also if they try to talk about their own experiences, then mm-hmm. it would kind of I don't want to say humanize them, but allow me to see, you know, that they also went through the same thing. And it's yeah. not just I'm on the spotlight. Mm, so more conversation and less like interrogating you about what you're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Less, yeah. Like, why I wish I knew more. My, I wish I like knew more about like my parents, like at my age. Cause it's like, it's so hard. It's like easy to see like them as like so far removed from that, that it just like didn't happen to them, but it obviously did, you know, it, like it led them to each other, it led them to growing up and all that. So hearing about that more, I think would sort of help, ease that sort of anxiety about talking about things like this with them. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Charles, you started to say something? Oh, no, I was just agreeing with what they were saying. They got it. (laughs) They said what you were thinking. Exactly. (laughs) Because it's just like, I know my mom was dating guys, so it's like, why not just tell me so we could talk about it and then we could all be happy, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Like, let's not pretend. This yeah, because like she'll, yeah. cause she'll like she'll drop hints as to like what like she went through, but like she'll never tell me the full picture. Me and it's just too. like oh. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> So you guys gotta do a better job on that. Okay. All right. 
we'll send out the memo. We'll yes, <laughs> at our next like parent meeting with all the parents worldwide, we'll let them know that's what's that's what needs to happen. That's what's up. <laughs> Much appreciated. <laughs> but I, I think you're right. Uh, uh, kind of like going back to what we were talking about in the beginning and what Esther had mentioned is that as when kids are kids, parents really want to make kids feel safe and they present this sort of like, you know, I've got this all under control front. But like ideally, like as a, as a therapist who works with families, like, I'm always sort of encouraging, like, the wall needs to, like, slowly come down as the kid gets older. Like, the smoke screen with the wizard behind it kind of needs to, like, draw in. (laughs) And you see that this is, like, a real person who has screwed up and who has dated people and, you know, probably had angry breakup crying, screaming scenes and all of that. Because, you know, most of us have had those experiences. Yeah. So we'll send out the memo. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, sort of compare it to, like, the tooth fairy. Like, at least for me as a like, when you lost your first tooth, like, I set an alarm. Like, I want to keep the magic alive. By the time you lost your last tooth, like, I probably forgot for a week. And, you know, at some point just gave you $5. Like, (laughs) 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 right, like, you lost your tooth. Clearly, at this point, we both know there's no tooth fairy. <laughs> I'm wow. still happy to give you the, the money, but like, but it's that progressive process to being able to say. And I mean, like, I feel like, you know, both of my kids can vouch. Like, there was a stretch where, like, the tooth fairy would leave you notes. Like, hey, sorry, I forgot last night. <laughs> Here's <laughs> That was that was kind of in like mom's handwriting. And then eventually, but and then it was okay, like, or at least I I don't know, it was okay for me. Hopefully it was okay for you guys. That the magic sort of went away. Like I'm still here and I still want to do those things, but that to use Raquel's word, like trying to humanize all of these various like places in your life, that it isn't sort of magic fairy dust that someone sprinkled on me at some point in adulthood that I now know everything and didn't have these experiences, but like, no, I can kind of relate. It sounds like that would be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I guess I, I feel like I want to say like, even though it is sort of terrifying when you first realize like nobody knows what they're doing and your parents have had all these same experiences as you, like there is sort of a moment I think as an adult where unless things have gone terribly wrong, um, you you feel sort of really good about being sort of, to be totally lame here, like being like the captain of your ship. Like I feel really good about the things that I, I have put in place in my life, that I make conscious choices about where I want to live and who I'm married to and what I want to do with my life. Like, and there becomes a moment where that feels good if you do it right. <laughs> That's supposed to be comforting, but maybe it's not comforting. I don't know. <laughs> was it comforting, guys? <laughs> or was it just stressful? <laughs> no, but I, I like that metaphor. And I think to stick with that metaphor, it's a, it's like learning to drive, right? Like it's terrifying behind the wheel. Hopefully at some point early in learning to drive, you recognize like, 
this is like serious. Like I could kill somebody or myself. And, and so there's anxiety about it. And then hopefully you get better at it. And then you actually enjoy driving and it feels good to have the freedom and independence to be in charge of where you go, how you get there, the route you take, all of those things. And, and life is like that. It, it is terrifying and you will screw some things up along the way forever. But ideally, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> but it's okay. Like, I think that's really, if, if there's any trick to adulthood, that's the trick is that is learning to be okay with the fact that you were going to screw something up and that you can learn from it and move forward. So right. then you can be less afraid of dating or picking a major <laughs> right. or a job or any of the other things that just feels so overwhelming right now. Because you come to terms with the idea that if you make a mistake, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, and, and to go back to the job thing really quickly, like, I just wanted to say, like, I know there's a lot of pressure to figure things out in college about like what you want to do with your career. And my husband was one of those people. He knew exactly what he wanted to do. He's done it. He's an electrical engineer. He's wanted to be one since he was like, I don't know, 10 or something. And everything followed that certain path for him. Um, my career was not like that. Before I was a therapist, I worked in politics. I was an event planner and it's fine. Like it's fine. As long as you sort of have the attitude of, I am figuring this out. It's a work in progress. I don't have to have all the answers right away. Like I took stock of what I liked in the jobs that I did and tried to figure out, okay, how can I take the things that I like and continue you know, into something that fits better. Like you take stock as you go along and then you sort of figure out like what seems more, you know, fitting for you or works better for you. So it's okay if you don't have an answer when you're 22 and you graduate. I think my only thing was I really didn't want to go back home. So I was like, whatever I'm doing, I'm going to support myself and I'm not going back home. Some people may not feel that way, but that was kind of my thing. But as long as I could support myself and just figure it out, like that's, that's all you really need to be concerned about, I think. Which I think is actually perfect advice for pretty much every area of your life. Like just be confident that you can figure it out and have that commitment to yourself and that you can support yourself, be it financially or just emotionally, like you can take care of yourself or, and know where to go for additional help. I think that's really good life advice. So with that in mind, let's wrap up. And I'm going to ask each of you, like, if you could share one thing with like, I don't know, high school seniors or just your fellow college mates, like what would be one thing that you feel like you have begun to figure out that you just, either you wish somebody had said to you or just that you want to say to other people right now? And we'll wrap up that way. Is that a lot of pressure? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I would say is not to let people discourage you, especially when it comes to like majors and stuff like that. Because I know like if you're not like pre-med or like want to be a lawyer or something like that, a lot of people look down on certain majors. But I think you should just go with what you want to do. Because to be honest, you can be like successful through any major. So don't just not try not to worry about other people's opinions about what you choose to do with your life. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And then I think I would say 
just like recognize or like just like go into college knowing or like making it don't make it like high school again like don't feel like you're restricted by what you were in high school or what it was that you were you know interested in like like use college use that first semester and that first year and the, the entire four years to discover new things about yourself and like allow those changes to you know come into your life and you know you're not going to be there you're going to lose touch with a lot of your high school friends which is unfortunate but it is true and there there's going to be the ones that you do you know you'll always like have and you'll always have those and like those are the people that you'll still continue to cherish but like it'll it's interesting to be able to go back and think about high school and how things do change but you know I would tell high school seniors like know that it is going to be a really big shift it is going to be a really big change awesome Charles and Raquel what are your thoughts so a message to like high school seniors yeah or other Um, people in college just to love yourself despite any flaws that you might think you have or you might actually have just continue to love yourself because it can be tough sometimes I think I would have to say, I guess, in regards to choosing colleges and whatnot, being honest with yourself and not listening to others' opinions, just do what it is that you want to do and stay on the track that you choose. Because at the end of the day, you're the one who has to go to the school and um, yeah, just be honest with yourself. You guys all have like really poignant, insightful advice, actually. Um, Yeah, yeah, like really good stuff. So I'm not even going to add anything to it. It was really good. I want to thank each of you for taking time out of your busy break schedules and hanging out with Erica and I. It was a lot of fun and and very informative. Like I feel like we've really learned some stuff. I will will be writing that memo to all parents about like (laughs) – Funny. funny. (laughs) I'll let them know. So yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to like touch base again, like later on when you guys are further along, you can let me know if like the parents have like shaped up and and how the whole life balance is going. Thanks so much, you guys. You really had like insightful thoughts, insightful questions. Like it was really awesome to hear from all of you today. Thanks guys. Bye everybody. Bye. 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 So I just thought it was super interesting when they, especially the guys were talking about like the challenges of being like attracted to rich girls or girls they perceive as being wealthier than they are. Um, The math might be fuzzy on that, that, but (laughs) that's their perception. And it was particularly interesting to me because I also went to an exclusive private school with like private college. Yeah. a lot of a lot of wealthy kids and that never entered my mind as a problem <laughs> i don't know if that's because i was since i'm middle class you know and i just wasn't thinking about how that like social strata yeah. might be affecting guys asking girls out in particular but once they said it it made so much sense like of course you would feel like well i can't give her what she's used to what she's used to and i think from our perspective it's kind of hard because well i want to be like well of course you can't give her what she's used to like no i mean i guess technically another rich guy could or another wealthy guy could could but that's not his money Right, like, right. It's not he's like not really giving her. He's anything. not giving her anything. It's really his parents who are giving right. her things, whether they know it or not. Yeah. So 
you know, I think that's kind of frustrating. Like you're kind of as a young man, then comparing yourself to like an established couple who's in their, you know, at least forties or fifties or older. Yes. Like that doesn't seem like a fair balance really. No. And I, I thought it was really interesting because, you know, Alex and Raquel both kind of challenged that idea of saying, um, you know, that that's probably not really what most girls, and I would make the argument that girls or young women that you actually want to date are not interested in you providing for them the same level of material goods that their parents are providing. Right. They don't want a dad. I hope not. Right. Hopefully not. And hopefully you're not interested in in being that, like that you are interested in being like a partner. I mean, that's kind of the foundation and that that's really about effort and intention. So I thought it was interesting though, that they both um, kind of acknowledge that it is a lot more in their head than it is specifically things that girls are saying or doing. Right. Because I think, like you said, like, I don't think there are, I'm sure there are some girls out there who would want you to be sort of, absolutely, you know, flowering, showering, whatever, with right. gifts and stuff. <laughs> but are those really the kind of girls that you want to date? Like, obviously, you know, you want to look at, like, the character of the person. Right. Like, if this girl is just all about you giving her stuff, maybe that's not the healthiest relationship in right. the world to be pursuing. But I think it also speaks to the the still sort of societal pressure on men to be a certain way. Like, I remember the mm-hmm. first time, you know, a guy sort of mentioned, a, a guy was talking about like, well, you know, I, I can't take a girl out. Like, I, I don't have the money to really take yeah. her out to like a nice dinner. And I just hadn't, I know this sounds awful, <laughs> but I, at that point, and this was, this was years ago. So give me some credit, okay. but I hadn't really thought about like, oh, like I expect a guy who takes me out to pay for it. And He's got to have money to pay for both of us to eat out, especially if we're going to be doing that on a regular basis. And I just hadn't really thought about it before, like how that societal pressure on men to be the provider, so to speak, to Mm -hmm. be the sort of, I don't know, to take the reins like financially, especially through the courtship process. Yeah. um, Really, you know, it weighs on them. I mean, even... Apparently, guys who are 19, 20 years old, like, it's right. weighing on them <laughs> who already. Theory, there shouldn't be so much pressure to take her anywhere. Like, as Alexis said, take her to the dining hall. Like, it's right. fine. But I think it is interesting that uh, despite our strides in terms of gender equality, that there are places where we haven't necessarily shifted our expectations. Like, right. as much as I think of my friends, I think about my daughter, you know, I think about women I know who are very much about gender equality and I don't think are looking for a boyfriend or a husband consciously thinking, oh, I expect him to take care of me. But there are sort of some basic things that it's still kind of expected. Like, yeah, you should pay Pay for for taking her At least the first date or two. And I sort of, you know, I subscribe to the idea like, if you ask someone out, you should be paying. Hmm, yeah. But of course, that still sort of defaults to guys because for the most part, we expect men to ask women out. To be still. doing the asking. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you're still paying. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think, not to be so therapist about it, but it does also make me think about how much effort do we put into sort of helping young men and maybe not so young men 
reevaluate how they define what they have to give to the relationship. Right. Because I just, you know, and I didn't ask them, but if there's that much internal pressure for, I need to be able to like buy her nice things and take her nice places and spend lots of money. I think it sort of minimizes the other things that they would bring to somebody's life in terms of friendship, partnership, support, encouragement, that you would be funny or kind or, you know, all of these other non-financial things that, frankly, in the long run mean much more than whether you took her to, you know, I don't know, Dunkin' Donuts for a coffee versus, like, a really nice steak dinner. Right. But I stand by my statement I think I made in the in when we were talking to them that I, a guy who makes some effort to mm-hmm. put something nice together for you, like puts together like a nice day or takes you, you know, to your favorite little spot, you know, on campus or whatever, like that means so much more than a guy who just takes you to a restaurant or yeah. I, I, I feel like even 22-year-old Erica or 20-year-old Erica would have felt the same way. I don't think that's just because I eat in restaurants all the time now. That's <laughs> like, yeah, fine. Whatever. <laughs> I had a $50 uh, steak last night. It's no big deal. No, no big deal. <laughs> but um, no, I agree with you. I think that that's so true. And I think what you said is really important. And I don't know. I they weren't like having it. They were not having <laughs> they it. They were and not I think having it. It's a message that I wish would really resonate with both guys and girls, um, or men and women, is that anybody, not necessarily anybody, but certainly there's lots of people with big bank accounts who can spend lots of money on you. Right. What's special is the effort. Right. And what all of us are looking for male or female, is somebody who makes us feel special. Like, who treats us as if there's something very special about us and therefore we are worth their time and effort. I mean, and yes, money. But if you have a million dollars and you buy me a $30,000 watch, that's not any more meaningful than a guy who has $100 in the bank who takes me out for, you know... A $20 dinner at Chipotle. Right. Because that's what he can get. That's what he can give. And it, quite frankly, he has $100 and just spent 25% of it. It means a lot more. That means a lot more than somebody who has, you know, a seemingly unlimited or um, expansive financial resources because it doesn't really cost anything. There's no sacrifice in right. spending lots of money if you have lots of money. Well, and I think it, to tie it into something that you hear in the culture all the time is from men is like, they don't understand what women are thinking. What do women want? You know, there was that whole Mel Gibson movie. Like, <laughs> what are women really thinking? What do women really want? And it's mm-hmm. like, more than anything, we just want you to show up. Like, yeah. the investment yes. to show up, that's what matters more. And that... You know, sometimes that'll translate into financial things, but much more it translate into like being emotionally supportive, like taking me to a place, you know, that I like, or maybe buying a book that, you know, that I like, or, you know, it's looking at this whole picture of I'm here for you, like within Mm -hmm. reason, obviously not constantly, not 24 hours a day, not seven days a week, but that you show up like that, I think is what, what women want some great mystery, (laughs) More than anything else. Yes. In fact, it's one of my favorite 
for my embarrassing movie love confession today. Um, it's one of my favorite movie quotes from, uh, what is the movie called? That Awkward Moment. Yeah. With like Zac Efron and Michael B. Jordan, which to me is basically the ultimate chick flick with an all-male male cast. Like the stars <laughs> were men, but it was basically a chick flick. It was so good. But it, towards the end of the movie, I mean, that's really... I think Zach Efron's character says that he's like, you know, really the only thing that Matt, like a relationship is just showing up. Yeah. Like that's at its core. That's what people want is to know when I really need you, you'll show up for me. Right. That's it. That's really it. Because that's hard to come by. Right. Somebody who's got a little extra cash to spend on me. Not that hard to come by somebody who's willing to say like when it's hard, you know, when you're sad or you're frustrated or something's gone wrong or when I'm tired and can't be bothered, that it is uh, easy, not easy, but that I'm willing to be there. I'm willing to show up. I'm willing to sort of say, like, I've got you. I've got your back. Right. And that everybody can afford to do. (laughs) Right. Everybody can choose to do that. Right. Like everybody can make that choice and and make those sacrifices. It's, it's if they want to do that, if, if you are the person that they want to do that for, which becomes a whole other thing. Yeah. That kind of segues into the other piece of this conversation that interested me about sort of like the friends and I'm using air quotes, (laughs) the friends. And you say you're friends with somebody and everybody knows what that means. And then I asked like, well, if you, what if you're actually, what if you're actually friends? friends? That's the same label. That just, I, I, I wish you could see my face. Like it confuses me so much, and it makes my brain hurt so much, and it makes me be like, "Thank God I'm married," because <laughs> that seems like so hard. Yes, because they all were kind of like, "Yeah, everybody knows what that means," but I feel like with some prompting, it was sort of clear that no, nobody knows. Nobody what knows. What any no of one that knows means. what it means. <laughs> We are all very confused. And to be clear, I'm not, I'm sort of picking on this, not just because it's like college students. This is something we see with well-grown ass Mm -hmm. folks in therapy, (laughs) in friendships. Yeah. All the time where there's just this very like casual, ambiguous, nebulous dating but we don't call it dating, like, situation. Yes. I have friends. I don't know if you have friends, but I have friends who, like, they'll refuse to call it dating. I'm not dating this person. We and had like, a friend who did that for a little while. What are you doing? You're going out and you're eating things with them and you're seeing movies with them and you're hanging out with them. Like, what? What? And you're interested in them sexually. So what is this? What is the name for this? Because <laughs> I'm thing? pretty clear. Because that last Where time I, I checked come was from, dating. That's dating. I thought that's what that was. But they, yeah. Now we had at least one friend who was like, no, that's not what I'm doing. I was like, uh, okay. Okay. If that's, I don't, I'm going to say that's what you're doing because that's the only label I know to make sense of it. But it can be whatever you want it to be. But I think, you know, I had actually a, a reporter asked me a while ago, they were working on like a piece for, I don't really know where, to be honest, uh, some magazine or something. And it was like, what do I think about hookup culture and, you know, is hookup culture ruining relationships? And I think, I don't think it's a hookup culture. I think it's just like this ambiguous label that we're doing. And so it's not hookup culture. It's hangout culture. Yeah. It's it's this this culture where we hang out and it doesn't mean anything 
and we don't we don't or we don't know what it means like mm-hmm. i think it's fine to have a purely casual relationship and to, for everybody to know like it's casual it's just sex or You've it's agreed just that that's out. what it like, is that's the thing everybody knows but it's another thing like often in those situations one of one or both people likes like actually really likes is Wants attracted an to the relationship other. yeah but they don't want to say it they don't want to put themselves out there they don't want to take that risk and so it's just endless nebulous hanging out maybe having sex mm-hmm. all of this kind of stuff and i got to say that just sounds hard it sounds it sounds exhausting it sounds exhausting i just had so i just had this conversation in fact we went out with uh some friends of ours a couple they're actually engaged they're getting married too oh. And so we were just sort of talking about, like, when they met, when they first started dating. And I thought it was really funny. She was sort of telling the story of, like, yeah, like, he seemed unclear. And she's like, yeah, we had this whole conversation where I basically said to him, like, we're dating. Like, he had made some comment about friendship. And she was like, no, this is dating. Like, (laughs) it's fine if you don't want to date me anymore. Like, then we can break up. She's like, but I want to be very clear. Like, I'm not the cool chick. No. I'm not the cool chick where you can kind of do whatever you want to do and we'll keep it like loose and casual. She's like, I'm the girl that you date. So like, as far as I'm concerned, we're dating. If that doesn't work for you, then we can break up. Right. Then we're not dating anymore. <laughs> then we're not dating anymore. And we've broken up. Right. And we like, and then we move on from that. But she's like, I'm not doing that. And I was like, I wish that more people felt good about Saying that. Yes. Men and women. Men and women. I mean, it's not just, I think it it goes both ways. Definitely. It does. Where it was just kind of like, I, there was no pretense about like, I don't want to be vulnerable or I want to come off as being like cool or chill. Sophisticated. Like I'm not that, you know, like I'm not that pressed or, you know, like I'm not thirsty. I'm not thirsty. Oh my God. I hate that term. I hate it. I hate it so much. Well, I'm like, if I were to, like, I'm thirsty. And I would like a glass of water. And if you're not trying to be that. If you're not trying to be my tall drink of water, then I don't want you. Or my husband short. A short drink of water. I don't want you. Whatever. (laughs) If you're not trying to be something to quench my thirst, move on. Exactly. And that's fine. Like, go find somebody else who doesn't have those needs or that desire. But I just, I think that that's, so it does, it makes me, (laughs) so the therapist in me is always a little bit sad to hear that like on college campuses we're all we're still doing that yeah because I feel like that's the point in your life where um despite the fact that I met my husband at that point in my life and got married um for the most part like those are relationships that it's like practice right for like really serious relationships like you're starting to learn those skills you're learning those skills you're learning how to be open and vulnerable and how to like get in a relationship and frankly if it stops working for either of you get out of a relationship like that's important adult stuff right that you should be getting out of college and like if we just call it friends like everybody's a friend even though the reality of the relationships are very different when you don't save yourself anything by not being honest like that's the thing i think you feel in the moment, I know because I've been there, or you feel in the moment, if I don't say anything, I can kind of like protect my heart mm-hmm. and I can kind of like keep this going and that kind of thing. But you don't save yourself anything in the long run. It it would be much better to know that this person isn't looking for something more with me, yeah. you know, uh, 
a month in or a few weeks in than like six months, eight months down the road. Right. When I really like you and I really have feelings for you and I've probably slept with you. Like, And I've passed up other people who were interested in me, either actively, like somebody's asked me out and I said no, or just simply by being so emotionally invested in somebody. In this relationship. Yeah. That you miss these other opportunities where it's like, yeah, no, it's, you will bounce back. Right. You know, like there's a like massive adult lesson in life. Like yeah. you're going to be okay. Nobody yeah. dies of a broken heart. You're going to like. You will survive. And I've, I've made that call. I've done the whole, I I mean, I put my money where my mouth is and, and, and been told no, like that's not what I want. It's not what we're like, doing. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's the end of that then. <laughs> yeah. And like you go, that stings. This yeah. Is, it okay, hurt. Wow. And I cried and. But then it was it. Like I knew, I knew where he stood. I knew where I stood, and that was that was it. You don't pass the initial like, oh, I'm crying, and you know, maybe drinking too much on that Friday night. Like then it was done. And you're like, okay, it's over. Now it's over. I can move on. And and you do you. There's a piece of your heart that then gets saved for the next relationship for somebody else who actually wants it versus sort of pretending like you're not giving it to somebody who you actually are giving it to. Right. Who's not going to treat it carefully or lovingly or appreciatively. Right. Or who may not even know that you feel that way. Because right. Because you're just friends. <laughs> We're just friends. Right? So I have no idea how you feel. Yeah. And so it's, yeah. And I think it makes it harder to judge people's character too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to say one more thing then I know we have to, we have to move on. Um <laughs> <laughs> but the the reason that I hate the term thirsty is because I think it supports a culture of not being honest about your feelings. That really yeah. bothers me. That whole like I'm I can't be seen as thirsty, so I'm not going to tell you how I actually feel. Yeah. Like I have a huge problem with that. Yeah, and I and I'm <laughs> I'm good for taking like the metaphor way too far. So for me, I'm always like, if I was like literally thirsty. And I spent all my time saying that I'm not thirsty. Eventually, I'm going to die of dehydration. Right. Which, from what I understand, is a pretty awful, a terrible awful way to die. Way to die. <laughs> Why would I do that? Yeah. Why do that when I can just be honest right. and move on? And when some guy sitting across the aisle from me or next to me with a bottle of water, like, why would why I do that? Yeah. But I, I totally agree with you. It does promote this culture of that there's something wrong with wanting and needing another person right and quite frankly that is what we are hardwired to do like all of the research supports it i hate to burst your bubble but we need people we do people need people yeah that's just it's a fact of life like at our most basic biological level we are supposed to need other people we do need other people exactly what is the point of pretending like we don't like i don't get it yeah I know we're being like super therapisty right now, but we I, are. I don't get it. But ladies and gentlemen, be thirsty. If you're thirsty, let them know. Yeah. Tell them. Own it. You're thirsty. You'd like something to drink. Yeah. If you can't provide that, I'm going to go get some Gatorade or yeah. something. Because for all the fear about somebody, you know, be making fun of you or rejecting you or hurt, like, the reality is that they might have just been waiting for you to say something. Right. Like, 
And if they're the kind of person that's going to make fun of you for approaching them in a, like, in a respectful way, like, not yeah. some crazy way, but in a respectful way, like, that person's a douchebag. Like, yeah, and you need to leave. Anybody who does that is a jerk. <laughs> right. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. Exactly. So you don't want to be in a relationship with this person anyway. Right. Like, <laughs> That is important information, which is probably a great, it's a conversation for a whole nother podcast episode, which is clearly when people tell you who they are, believe, believe them. them, own it, right. stop falling in love with potential and possibility. Cause that's not a thing. That's not a real thing. Yeah. yeah. So. Maybe come back to them when they have reached their potential. Check in. You can make a note yeah. on your calendar. Right. And check, check in. in. And the likelihood is that by the time that happens, you'll have met somebody who's already at their potential. Right. And you'll have found somebody who can appreciate what you have to offer, which actually sort of goes into like my whole um, RLW, read, listen, watch. Because part of what, I mean, all of the conversation we just had with everybody was, I feel like there's this underlying piece of like, you've got to sort of figure out like, what's my value in the world? Like, how do I figure out what to do with my life? Whether it's picking a major (laughs) Right. <laughs> um, you know, in a career path or whether it's like trying to define a relationship. I think you have to sort of or even just the balance that work life balance, like where do you invest most of your energy? And yeah. so I really I read this book a couple of years ago, actually. Um, and so periodically, like I send the little quiz that goes with it to people. But the book is called uh, Fascinate. By Sally Hawks. It's Fascinate, Your Seven Triggers to Persuasion and Captivation. And who doesn't want to be persuasive and captivating? Not me. (laughs) (laughs) But it's by Sally Hogshead. I I think it's an interesting book. It's along the lines of like, you know, Strength Finder, Strengths Finder 2.0. And, Mm. um, you know, I feel like at some point, most of us who've been in school have been in taken some kind of uh, personality career quiz. Like this is what you should do with your life kind of a thing. Yeah. And so it's along those lines, but I, what I found fascinating about the way um, she really approached it and kind of the research she did and the way the quiz is structured is that it really looks less at how you perceive yourself and helps you get a picture of how other people perceive you. And basically she breaks it down into these seven categories triggers she calls them um and that each of us has like a primary and a secondary trigger that really is how we are most persuasive and influential to the people around us so things like for some people it's passion in fact passion is my primary so it's like it's all expressive and emotional language and you make people feel something about you know which sort of makes sense yeah right that seems yes but what's interesting about it is like it she doesn't then extrapolate to like oh you should go into medicine it really is sort of a guideline around saying like so here are these ways in which you are most easily able to persuade and influence and and sort of capture the attention of people this is where people find you most valuable yeah so whatever you're interested in personal relationships professional relationships picking a career Look for roles that allow you to maximize that strengths. That's really cool. So you, you know, you could have, we could have the same primary trigger and go into very different fields, doing very different things. But that the idea would be to find a role where you're able to really kind of maximize the thing you do really well. Um, 
And so I think it's really interesting. In fact, like I have, um, I just had our interns <laughs> do it because I thought that was really useful information. And I think even on a personal level, like thinking about how other people see you sometimes helps you get a better handle on what, where your value really is. You know, right. that whole conversation about like, well, what do I bring to the table? Like that these are qualities about who I am that, and here's how they impact other people. Like right. I bring something very di- other than like money or whatever to the table. Yeah. That sounds super interesting yeah. and super helpful for folks, both young and older who yes. are trying to figure out like what they want to do and how to make the best use of their skill set. Cause I think, that piece gets lost curiously enough in sort of mm-hmm. the discussion about careers. There's a lot of focus on like your interest and that kind of thing, right? which is, which is important, but also like, what are your actual sort of strengths that mm-hmm. can be used in, you know, usually a variety of careers, like, right. Even though, you know, a, a, you might have a doctor and you might have a lawyer, but they're, pieces of those jobs that translate over to both exactly to both positions and like how can you maximize that regardless of what you know what potential interest you have or what career path you're kind of thinking about so I really like that I think it's really good so I'll put it in the show notes and I think um it is not an unlimited code but I do actually have a code for like an abbreviated version of the well it's the full quiz and I think you get an abbreviated like a brief report as opposed to the full length report so I will put that in the show notes so like the first hundred people who check out the show notes can use my code and uh, get online and take it and it would actually be really cool if you like tweet me or leave us comments on the show notes page about what you found out about yourself because that would be kind of fascinating to know like who are our listeners what kinds of yes interesting what's your trigger right (laughs) yes yes i actually have another read listen watch yes yeah yes so that goes along with what we're talking about um it is called modern romance by Aziz Ansari, who I love. Yes, who's <laughs> hilarious. He's a comedian. If you don't, if you haven't heard of him, you should look him up. He's hilarious. He is hilarious. Um, but it basically he worked with some researchers, um, some sociologists, and and met with interviewed a ton of people um, about dating, particularly in American culture, but also there is some pieces on sort of international dating, which was super interesting. The chapter on Japan was like me reading it out loud to my husband constantly because it was just craziness. I won't even go into all the craziness that is happening in other cultures, but it's super fascinating. But there's a lot of data behind different sort of uh, relationship patterns and dating patterns, um, particularly in our culture and things about sort of texting and breaking up with people over text and um, all of these sort of different facets of dating. So I highly recommend if you're interested in dating just as an intellectual pursuit or if you're out there dating um, that you check it out. Mm -hmm. Um, It's called Modern Romance. Again, it's Aziz Ansari. So... Yeah, it's pretty awesome. It is. I have not finished it, as is the case for most of the books. <laughs> Anything that's new, I'm always sort of like in progress. But I, I just think he's really funny, and so, yeah. and then it was fascinating. I like those books where it's kind of that blend between 
kind of that very intellectual like here's yeah the like research, here's the research the and then here's like my my humor yeah, too my little got, funny story got funny it. commentary yeah he does he's yeah. also obsessed with roman which i can totally get on board with i love roman mm, so. it is pretty good <laughs> <laughs> so we've been on a roll with all of our therapist problems Yes. And so this week we are going to skip therapist problems because let's face it, we're therapists. Our friends are all therapists. Like we only have so many problems because we just call our friends who are therapists and they help us <laughs> solve our problems. That's, That's how that do. works. Yeah. That is one of the professional benefits. It is not a therapist problem. It's a therapist bonus. That is true. <laughs> um, but what we'd like to do, I think starting hopefully with our next episode is to really start incorporating way more listener questions. So with that in mind, or with that being said, go online. You can tweet us your questions at Esther B. MFT or at GTA therapist. You can also find us on Facebook. I have the same, I'm the same everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. So it's still at Esther B or Esther B MFT, but you can also go to conversations off the couch, right? Just kind of the social arm. arm of our, of the private practice and leave us comments there. Or you can also just go to the show notes page and there is a link where you can email us if you are into email, yes. but send us your questions. So either love questions, to hear them. we would love to hear them. Questions about being a therapist, about, working with a therapist, or just life and relationship questions, because that's kind of what we live to do. Yeah. Thanks so much. We will talk to you next time. What'd you think of today's episode? If you're listening in the anchor.fm app, hit the button up at the top and leave us a message. You can also send us messages on Instagram or Twitter at Esther BMFT and at Ian Flats. You can send us your therapist problems, suggestions for read, listen, watch, or ideas for upcoming episodes. And with that being said, Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, anchor.fm. Catch you in the next episode.